I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. But what I came to was like, what, why do I want to earn good money? And that is to bring freedom to my life. And freedom for me is like freedom to be able to, for example, after this, take my mother-in-law out for lunch and take her somewhere nice and just really enjoy it. And freedom to go and buy organic produce, which I know is for us the, the best choice for our bodies. Um, and um, freedom to put my daughter into a really good school, uh, private school that she's really enjoying that gives her the education that we can give her. Um, freedom to get acupuncture when I need acupuncture, to afford the home birth midwife that we had recently. You know, like all these things that bring richness to our lives to be able to live where we live. And so, yeah, so what inspires me is if I can make lots of bunny, I can experience more freedom and more health and um, and so that's been the big driver for me is the bigger picture again. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline the Podcast. These are honest conversations about true self-success with the people we follow and the teachers who help us on our way. I hope you find this episode valuable. And if you need support aligning your profession to your true nature, your unique gifts and your passions, I'm here to help. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about Offline's personal and professional development opportunities or follow getoffline.co on social media. You can find me at Alison Larson Rice. Thank you for being here. You guys, Jallison is back. If you listen to my first and second honest conversation with Juliet Allen, you'll know about our cutie nickname. We became fast friends after our first recording session. And honestly, now I probably talk to Juliet more than I do Tony during the day. (laughs) We're both deep in our motherhood season and we have really similar businesses. And I also coach Juliet. So we exchange voice texts all day about everything from what bibs we're using to what we're currently creating and also, you know, what we're having for dinner. Um, It's really nice and I think, if I'm honest, she keeps me sane. If you don't know about Juliet, she is Australia's leading sexologist and the founder of Pleasure School, the Juliet Pleasure Wand, Yin Body Products and much more. The last two times she's been my guest, we've, of course, spoken about sex. This time, though, I invited her back on to talk about how she's built and grown such a pioneering and conscious business. But also, I wanted her to share what life and work looked like before the Juliet Allen we know today. She's worked so hard to get where she is, and I want you to keep that in mind while you listen. Remember, slow 
meaningful, deliberate. In this episode, we talk about authentic expression over having a social media strategy, how leaving a financially secure situation was the moment her business began to thrive, productizing her brand and generating new income streams, how she uses sex magic and visualization and manifestation to reach her goals, her business goals and her personal goals, and why success has nothing to do with the amount of money in her bank account. Refreshing. Juliet has been a huge expander for so many of us who want to use our unique gifts to serve, but who also want to make a living while we're doing it. So I hope you adore this honest conversation and a big thank you to my friend Juliet for opening up so we can all learn. Okay, here's Jalison once again for Offline. So we're going to have an honest conversation about your journey to becoming Australia's leading sexologist. <laughs> I don't know how you feel when I say that. Um, but also about your um, how you honour different seasons in your life and this season of motherhood as well. But because of, I think, what you're going to share and um, the beautiful reality that you're living in right now, I thought it might be helpful for us to start a little bit back so you can talk about the work you've done and how long it's taken to get here. Because I think sometimes when we talk about success, we can forget that there is often five years to a decade of work Mm. before seeing that end result. And I feel like you're kind of at the other end now. Mm. But for a long time, um, you weren't where you are now. So how long ago did you get into what you do? And can you just talk us through like where you started? Yeah, sure. Well, I got into sexology approximately seven, eight years ago. And prior to that, I was, um, I studied an undergrad in psychology and became a yoga teacher. I had a kids yoga business and I was also a doula supporting women through pregnancy and birth. And, um, I got to a stage with my yoga business that I was just getting tired of teaching yoga and I knew there was something more for me. I didn't feel quite on purpose with it. So I studied a master's in sexology and I chose that because I wanted to create, uh, I, I wanted to walk into a career that I absolutely loved. I didn't want to not look forward to work. And I joked, you know, and said like, oh, imagine if I could make a living out of sex without actually selling my body. And I um, ended up studying sexology and that's how I got into it. And as soon as I started, I just knew like I was on the right path. And then when I finished, I just made a choice to literally launch myself into my career as a sexologist. But that didn't come easy because I was... um, I was working as a youth worker with young mothers and I was, I think I had like a coffee shop job on the side. I was doing all sorts of things just to make ends meet. And um, so, yeah, it, t- it took a lot for me to quit my jobs and really just jump in the deep end and, and give it my, my all, which is what I did and I'm still doing, but in a different way now. 
I feel like this, like what you just described, and I had experienced this as well, it's kind of one of the hardest parts, isn't it, is when you walk away from the financial security to pursue your purpose and, you know, the work that you believe you're meant to be doing but you know isn't going to fund you straight away. Mm. Like how how hard was that to do? Because I think so many people listening have that desire but we're so um, committed often financially and sometimes it's mortgages and things. Sometimes we're caring for sick family members, etc. Like there's lots of different reasons we need to earn but Talk to us about like where you found the courage and confidence and I guess just how you got okay with it. Mm. It was a it was a big process. I remember going to work a lot in my youth work position and I was also running the kids yoga business on the side. I had employees teaching for me by then. And I had a lot of conversations with my then partner about how unhappy I was. And I remember driving to work one day and I was just, I was in tears. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't like my boss. I didn't feel on purpose at all. And a cop pulled me over (laughs) because I was, I think I was on my phone driving. And I just bawled my eyes out to this police officer and I was on the side of the main road and I couldn't stop and I was bawling my eyes out. He ended up not giving me a fine because I think he was just like, oh, my gosh, this woman's short. But it was like, I think it was moments like that. There were a few moments like that where I was like, what am I doing? Where I just had to, I knew that a big change needed to be made and I was definitely fearful of not being able to make Uh, money straight away and not being able to support myself and my daughter. However, I was in a relationship with a woman at the time who said, I will pay for the rent. I will pay for the bills. Um, You, yeah, and I support you to leave that job. And so it took a lot, but I did it. I think the day before I left, I got a car loan. Like that was a bit of a gamble. I was like, I'm going to get a car loan so I get my dream car, but then I'm going to leave my job. So I took all these risks. But what happened from the moment I stepped out was everything else began to fall into place with what I truly was passionate about. And my health got better and my relationship improved temporarily, I guess, (laughs) Um, because I'm not in that one anymore. But, you know, it's like everything fell into place. Mm. Um, and I mean, I'm not saying it was easy. I was up till midnight, like for years working on Mm -hmm. my business as a sexologist and strategy and all sorts of things, invested a lot of time and, um, and money into professional development so that I could learn about business and money and how the hell to do everything, marketing. Mm. Can you, and I guess I'm I'm glad you raised the um, support that you had from your partner at the time because oftentimes when I'm asked about my own kind of leap out of um, publishing into doing my own thing, you know, I've, I've been really honest to say like having Tony in a full-time job, um, that is absolutely one of the things that gave me 
the security and the confidence to do it. But I also worked really hard for a decade and I saved. I probably could have saved a lot more. Actually, I definitely could have saved a lot more. But I did save my own money. And so I made the decision to take $10,000 out of savings and use that to produce the first season of the podcast and sustain myself. And the conversation we had was six months. And then if I'll know at six months whether this is could become something or not, and then, of course, I'll, you know, go out and be responsible and get another job and things like that. And I feel like this evolving conversation Tony and I have had is another six months, another six months, <laughs> you know, three years later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he has a real belief in my business. But I do value that you raised the, um, I guess, the privilege that comes with a partner who is willing to support you, I think, for independent women like us and independent people in general. We don't want to have to rely on someone financially, but I guess it comes back to that understanding of earning and what are we earning at different times in in our lives. Um, But if you think about anyone listening who may not have that financial support system, you know, you mentioned that you were working in a coffee shop and you basically had a couple of businesses on the go, you were studying what would your advice be for making that transition? Um, because I think that's the thing is like the dream job and the thing that we believe is our purpose, it may not earn us money straight away. Mm. Mm. Yeah, good question. Um, so when when I did leave my job, I had a partner who was um, paying most of the bills. However, when we broke up, Overnight, I went from having someone who was supporting me to um, paying, being left with $640 rent a week. And I'm just mentioning this because I I do know both kind of sides of the, I've experienced both because before being with her, I was, I started um, the yoga business by myself. So just thinking, what advice do I have? Just start small, start anywhere. It doesn't mean you need to quit your job straight away. What you can do though is either do something at nighttime or in the mornings or whenever's a good time for you to begin the passion project on the side that then can turn into a full-time role. Or you could um, say go from five days to four days and just have that, you know, extra day. So sacrifice a little bit of your income so that you can then invest your time into what you, you know, truly want to explore in life as a career. Um, but I don't think it's always realistic just to quit. You know, it take, it's because if you fa- it's not financially viable, then it's not financially viable. Um, but I, I truly, mm. back to the moment when I had to pay a lot of rent by myself, that was actually the moment that my business started going off and like the income started coming in and I was making all this money because I was forced to. I was like, okay, I'm by myself now. I need to pay rent. I need to put food on the table. I'm parenting my daughter solo again. Um, and that was that was the biggest gift was that relationship breakup actually for many reasons but for my business. But like propelling the business forward. It propelled the business forward really quickly because I was so motivated to make money and not just money to cover the bills, but I was like, okay, I want surplus. I want, I want to be able to look after myself. Mm. 
No, it's good advice because it's not all or nothing. You know what I mean? And I always said like, I think it really comes down to like, what are you willing to compromise and for how long? Because for me, I was like, I would much prefer and I have full respect for all retail workers. I'll work in a shop Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than do what I was doing, you know, Mm -hmm. because that felt so out of integrity for me at that point that it was just going back to my values and trying to stay in integrity. But I think our stories are similar in that. I think there is that kind of um, reciprocity, that relationship with nature where we're, when we move into that work that is more dharmic and purposeful, there is a kind of reward system that comes with that. But you're right, there's nothing like having a, you know, rent at the end of the week to kind of think, fuck, I'll open up some more coaching <laughs> spots <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Um, mm. So when you got into... Um, I guess what is essentially sex therapy, sexology, way back then, I mean, it's very accepted now. I feel like it's quite a hot little industry, um, Mm. lots of people going into it to coach and things. But when you did it, I feel like it was still very much taboo. We were not talking about sex, especially not online and on social media. Did you face any, um, I guess, judgment or misunderstandings in the beginning when people maybe didn't have that level of consciousness that you had at that time around that's huge part of our lives that is was still so in the dark? Mm, good question. I actually didn't to my face. No doubt behind closed doors there was a bit of judgment going on. However, um, I feel very grateful to say that I had full support from my friendship circles and my family. My mum and dad listened to every episode of my podcast. They're amazing. Mum, when I did an anal sex one, texted me and said, I'm on my walk to work and I've just turned on the the latest anal one. She said, I think this might be one I'm going to sit out because it's not really my thing. But but good on you. And I just thought, oh, my God, how amazing, you know, that – I, That's love. So I, I had respect. Yeah, I, I did have a lot of support, and I didn't. I really haven't come up against any challenges aside from you know silly comments on Instagram stuff, which I'm just like, whatever. That's your stuff. I'm not taking that personally at all. Mm. Actually, I want to talk about that. You posted something recently that, um, and it's funny because it was about triggers, and it triggered me. And I don't think I told you about it. <laughs> No, this is going to be great. <laughs> Let's do it live. Let's do it live. Um, you had posted somebody else saying that I will no longer put trigger warnings on my content because oh, yeah. your triggers aren't mine to manage, Care essentially. Take. Yeah. Yeah, and then I feel like I was triggered by that because, you know, I can sit on my high horse quite a lot of the time about, like, what we're responsible for when we have these big audiences And then I sat with it for a really long time and maybe that sense why I'm talking to you now about it. And then I thought, yeah, I think there is a lot of truth in that actually. And how much don't I say online and how much don't I share for fear of triggering someone? Mm. But like if I have done my own work and I am evolving, then why can't I be out in the world with that true kind of authenticity? But um, talk to us about that because – you have, you know, a hundred plus thousand Instagram followers. So there's a lot of people for you to 
trigger. Yeah. Um, so what 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 do you think about that? Well, my my approach to this is, and this this is also my approach with family and friends, in a way, is that my job is not to caretake other people's emotions, and I remind myself of that, and I'm not perfect, so. Um, for example, in my own relationship with my partner, there may be times when I think, oh, I'm not going to, I don't want to say that because I don't want him to be upset, which is just care, it's kind of caretaking him in a way. And I'm not, and this comes down to like me, say, sharing vulnerably about something I'm feeling challenged by in the relationship. So I remind myself he is capable of looking after himself and his emotions. He has the 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 tools in his tool belt to do that. But with a wider audience, people are choosing to follow me. I'm not picking them out of a bunch, a sea of people and saying, you must follow my content. And I know that my content, as does anyone's really, but my content definitely would get reactions and and trigger people because it's, you know, as you said, it's a taboo topic. It's becoming more common to talk about, but it's quite taboo. Um, And the way that I talk about it perhaps isn't everyone's cup of tea. Um, But I don't, I really don't like care for other people's triggers that I think I see triggers as a gift to myself. So if say you said something today and I felt a bit like, oh God, I can't believe she said that. And then I got off and say, went to Nick and said, Alison said this, and I feel really angry or I feel like she's an idiot, whatever, <laughs> you know, really. He would say, okay, cool. He'd listen out and he'd go, what, what's, what's the mirror? What, what is there? What's in that for you? What is it about that that's making mm. you feel so charged right now? And then I'd probably roll his eyes at him at the time and then I'd go, okay, there's, this is the work. You know, something in that has sparked something in me and often a trigger can be like uh, something we want more of in ourselves. So, for example, a really confident woman on Instagram that we've chosen to follow who's put up a bikini shot and we're like, why would she keep putting up bikini shots? Maybe we want to be that confident. Or it's something that we don't like about ourselves. So say a woman who puts up an overly confident post and she's really loud and she's like really, you know, sexy and alive and vibrant. And we're like, gosh, she's so, she's too much. That's a trigger. Mm, But it's like, oh, no, actually that's part of myself that I'm denying and repressing. So triggers are such a great, great um, thing for personal evolution. And I'm not responsible for anyone else's other than myself. Plus, unfollow me. Unfollow me if you don't like my stuff. I have no attachment to how many followers I have. I really don't. I really do not. If I, it just. We should talk about this because one of the most interesting things when I got to know you better and we started having some coaching sessions and we were like, you know, Instagram strategy, like, don't have one. I was like, right up. And then I realized, like, I actually don't either. And I mean, there's obviously a huge gap between the amount of people that follow you and follow me, but people ask these questions all the time about building an audience and finding a community. And sometimes it does feel a bit underwhelming to talk about this idea that it's felt. 
Mm. You know, but I feel like what I've watched you do and continue to do um, is feel your way through. So would can you talk to us a little bit about um, how you're on Instagram, how you think about content and, and being on there? Because I feel like when you post, there's a, there's always a reason behind the post. It's not just one of those. Yeah, I don't, I don't just you know, throw I stuff post it in a week. Yeah. If I start to do that, I feel really yuck. I, I feel really untrue to myself. And that's when I have to rein it in and go, okay, why did you post that? And I'm really honest. I think I recently voice messaged you and said, I posted something and it's like, I just fucking put it up. And I ended up taking it down. I was like, that's not even true. To, to me. I'm just doing it because I haven't posted for a week. So I catch myself really quickly. Like you said, I haven't really had a strategy, but if I were to kind of briefly talk about what I think about, I think first my intention is to be really authentic. And so I find that when my followers do spike and go up, it's when I'm being so honest about what I'm going through. And it's when I'm really showing like my true essence and putting it up. It's often the personal pictures and the unstaged pictures (laughs) that will actually get Mm. a lot of engagement. Um, And so I just... That, that's my biggest goal. Like right now, as you know, and as we've spoken about earlier, is I just gave birth to our son who's five months. And so that's been the biggest thing in my life. And so, and we're not really having much sex, to be honest. So what I've been talking about so that I can say true to myself is libido um, is about what I'm going through, which feels like a sense of... Um, it sounds a bit too much to say identity crisis, but there's a bit of like a rebirth happening for me right now. So I'm trying to mm-hmm. talk about that a little bit. And 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 sometimes I catch myself and think, oh, my God, but people aren't going to, you know, like this because not everyone's a new mum. And they, they're following me for sex stuff. And then I just think, oh, well, they just have to unfollow me if they're not liking it because I can't just put up stuff just to put stuff out there for the sake of it. Um and I think that's the biggest compliment I get from my audience is thank you for being so honest and real and true to yourself and, yeah. Mm. And just, like, that's really what I'm hearing from you on social media is, like, honouring the season that you're in, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, oh, I don't know if this word's too much, but I think it's very courageous in a world that asks us to be these content machines and to, mm. you know, you talk to any sort of new age digital strategist and they come out with this must post, you know, two to three times a day. Da, 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 and it's just mm. like you lose um, the potency because no one can produce at that level yeah. and have it be authentic. So it is this slow, deliberate and meaningful posting. And, you know, that's kind of my, that is my strategy. <laughs> Yeah, you you're know, very I good I at that. I really have another one, so. I think the other thing yeah, but that I we think both. My, my audience could maybe be bigger. Yeah, but you have a very loyal audience. You know, like you don't have the, the following that I have, but I think what I've learned is, 
occasionally I've had um, people with over a million followers, for example, post, say something about my pleasure ones. And I think, oh, yay. And there's nothing. It's like radio silence. Wow. And then say someone like you posts who has a really loyal um, audience and I get hundreds of new followers and sales increase overnight. And I don't, so I don't mm. think it's about the numbers. I just don't really think it's about the numbers. It's about the quality of content and, and the like. Yeah. I don't think it's about that. I think mm. something you and I do well is we don't outsource our personal Instagram to an employee. Yes. That's my my number one rule is Juliet Allen. I'm so Instagram. glad you raised that because I haven't actually thought about that in a long time. Because mm. we both have people, you know, who could do that. We could outsource it. I have two employees who could do it. But I just think, nah, that doesn't feel right. It feels like if I've got my name as my handle, it needs to be coming direct from me. The other Mm. strategy I have while we're on this, I do have a bit of strategy around it, is I kind of think about it like different types of posts that I can put up. So one would be personal. Yeah. So say sharing a photo of Nick and I talking about our relationship, whatever. The next one would be a more education-focused one, so teaching something, so eight steps to better anal. While we're on the topic of anal, it keeps coming up in this episode, doesn't it? Um, and then like some sort of inspirational thing that people can go, oh, my God, like that inspires mm. me. And then what's the other one? Oh, a sales one. So a picture of a wand telling a people how great it is. Yeah. yeah. Or like here's my next event or pleasure mm. school. So I do think like that and I look at my grid and go, okay, haven't done an educative post for what a while. What am I due for? Yeah. And so this is programming. It sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? And I think that's because it is. We've been taught to believe that social media is some dark art and that there's this big secret to growing an audience. But there isn't. In my opinion, it's about simple programming and authentic expression. I actually think it's what happens after the social posts that matters the most. Like, do your products and offerings deliver a potent and unforgettable experience? This is something Juliet has done really well with the Juliet Pleasure Wand. I shared with her how easy it is for people who aren't exploring their sexual essence to mock a crystal dildo. I get it. We get it. But for those of us who are doing this work, the experience of using the wand when you marry it with her teachings, it's actually quite profound. And I think that is the throughway to growth and more sales. I asked Juliet to share more about her why behind the wands. I started them because as a sexologist and at the time as one of the only sexologists in Australia who was at least online uh, with a big presence, I was getting sent a lot of vibrators and dildos from different companies, as you can imagine. And, um, and you know, I was also using vibrators and had been for quite some time and I just wasn't getting the satisfaction out of them that I thought thought I should be getting. And um, I had a lot of clients who were using 
dildos and vibrators who are getting a lot of different um, like like the bacterial vaginosis, like a bacterial infections and different things. And as soon as they stopped using the sex toys, it would go away. And, you know, we did a bit of work on other stuff. but And then I kind of just thought there's got to be something else that can complement people's sex lives that isn't made with all these random chemicals and weird stuff that we don't know what we're putting inside ourselves. And so, and, you know, there were um, crystal sex toys on the market at that time. There weren't that as many as there are now. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to just design one and start with one and call it the Juliet. And that was a bit of a joke at the time to call it the Juliet. But I ran with it. There was no strategy again around that. It was just like, oh, I'll call it the Juliet. Then people get to masturbate with me. You know, it was a really big joke. And then um, (laughs) I launched it and suddenly it just took off. And I was like, I couldn't keep up. I was selling out all the time and this was one product. So then I decided just to expand to one other design and um, and I have deliberately kept the collection very small. So we've only got four um, different products. Uh, no, wait, one, two, three. Oh, gosh, five, I think. But um, I think you've got five. Yeah, five. Um, and I never imagined that it would get be the main source of income for my for for myself but it is and it's very much in alignment with what I'm about which is holistic health yeah using natural ingredients inside and outside our bodies and being mindful of what we um, put in to our bodies mm-hmm. and you know for anyone who because I you know I hope there's people listening that have a little look-see and, you know, maybe a nice Christmas present yeah, <laughs> to yourself or someone else. Mm. Um, yeah, I would just invite you to think about um, a new type of sexual experience you could have with yourself. It was really overwhelming for me the first few times because I actually didn't really use vibrators prior to you actually gifted me a wand the second time we recorded um, I'd maybe used, um, remember, I don't know if they still have them, you know, those like rings with the little vibrator on mm-hmm. the top? Yeah. You know, that go on the man's penis and then. Yeah. <laughs> Did you use one of go those? Go on the man's penis. I'm like so literal. <laughs> <laughs> I used them when I was like <clears throat> maybe 19, 20, and that was a bit of a novelty. Mm. And then I think because I had suppressed my sexual desires and essence for so long, it kind of felt a bit too naughty for me Mm. to use a vibrator. I I wasn't comfortable. And so when I used the pleasure wand, it was really emotional. There was a lot of release. Mm. Um, I cried the first time. Oh, amazing. That's good. And so I guess I share that. Yeah, I share that because I want people to have – a full understanding of what they might experience. And so to your point on being sent lots of vibrators and things since starting offline and I guess, you know, moving down this more self path, I have been sent a lot of that stuff as well. And I thought, okay, yeah, so I have a little try. Mm. It's such a different orgasm. It is. It's so different. It's like a, um, well, and I know it'll be different for everyone, but it's so 
um, short, sharp and intense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas with the wand, there's this beautiful build, you know, and then the pleasure experience is definitely like extended. Mm-hmm. And then there's this feeling of wanting to kind of just like sit after and just like bathe in it a bit. Whereas I feel like the experience with a vibrator and it's more like clit stimulation, mm. it's just kind of like this get in, get out mentality, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's really nice to hear you explain that because you've you've put into words what I would say and what I feel too. It's like a full body experience and it's a more of a heartfelt mm. experience too for me. Um, it's like going for a really high quality three course, amazing meal in a beautiful restaurant with a beautiful lover and beautiful conversation as opposed to like drive through, quick fix and then kind of just like, uh, Maccas. Yeah. So um, thank you for speaking about that and for sharing because I know, you know, for you it's not, maybe not as easy as it is for me. Yeah, it's edgy for you to share about that, but I appreciate it. And, you know, everyone's going to have, like you say, um, there are going to be people who are like crystal wands, whatever. Like I think when I heard about them, I said, oh, my God, the hippies have taken it too far. Like seriously? (laughs) They're now effing themselves with a rose quartz crystal. Like, get a life. That was my response. But all the reviews I get, a lot of them actually are, oh, I was really sceptical, but this has changed my life. Mm. So, again, that goes back to what was triggering you in that moment, you doing that work, that exploration. Come back to me when you've tried one. Mm. Totally. So let's apply this thinking to coaching because this is another area that, you know, um, you were doing for a really long time, Mm. one-on-ones and couples coaching. I've been doing and having some really rewarding success in. Um, It's become the industry that a lot of people want to get into. And I think that's really positive and beautiful, but we also need to talk about the responsibility that comes with coaching you know, I'm a believer that you have to have done a lot of your own work before you attempt to take someone through theirs. What's your um, experience of that and advice? Because I know you did a lot of self-work before you went and actually walked other couples through and people through their their sex trauma and all these things. Yeah. Well, yeah, my, my um, experience, I guess, for myself was that at a very young age, I, uh, I had a termination when I was maybe like 20, 21, and afterwards I took myself to a counsellor at uni and that was probably the first time that I had just gone, okay, I think I need to, as much as that actually wasn't very traumatic for me, it felt like the right choice, I knew that I needed to go and chat to someone about it because I didn't want to get a couple of years down the track and then have it hit me what happened or what choice I made. And so at a young age I had this awareness that self self-work was really important for me. And then um, my dad and I went on a journey to heal our relationship and did some personal development courses. And so I started young and then I just spent years, especially when my daughter was born at age 23, well, actually she was born on my 24th birthday, 
that catapulted me really wanting to like look into what my purpose was, what is this life all about, etc. So I did all the work and then when I became a coach, I I just it comes back to authenticity. I didn't want to sit in front of someone and pretend like I knew what they were going through or not be able to find this empathy and compassion for somebody if I myself hadn't gone to the depths of like my trauma and my pain and, you know, all my past stuff. I wanted to be able to sit with people knowing like what what it felt like to go there, to go to those depths. Mm. And that was important for me. The other thing that's important for me is, um, and this isn't directly related to coaching, but I don't educate about or talk about stuff I haven't experienced. So if I talk about, say, squirting, this is, for example, I, I have never experienced that. So I'll get an expert in to experience it because I don't want to pretend. Mm. I, I just want to experience everything that I speak about. And so I've had quite a colourful life and what I'm getting to is with clients, you know, when someone comes in and they've just had a miscarriage, I can sit with them and feel their pain and, mm. and really, like, empathise. If they've, they've, you know, experienced whatever they've experienced, I've ex- I, I feel like I can sit with them in a really authentic way is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I have a lot of training behind me and, yeah, so I think that's why I'm really good at what I do. Like you say, you know, there are a lot of people up and coming who are doing the same thing as me. I do have my doubts about whether they've had the proper training because what we do is go deep if you're good at what you do in this industry. And that that means going right back to childhood and trauma and sexual abuse and all sorts. You can't take someone there if you're not trained and if you don't have mm. the capacity to do that. You can't in a safe way. Yeah. Mm. Did you have any, um, when you were doing one-on-ones and couples coaching, what were your, um, I guess, self-protection strategies for not kind of embodying that trauma yourself? And Because I think early on when I was coaching, you know, I felt it was my responsibility to help people and I, I did have a hard time kind of cutting off after the session and now I've got, you know, different things that I do. But what did you do in those days to kind of create that really healthy coach-client relationship? Mm, Good question. I actually find it easy to not get caught up emotionally with clients, which is probably a really great um, thing for me to naturally be able to do. Um, So what, what would I do? So practical-wise, I've always had an office where I work. I don't take clients into my lounge room as in, I mean, I used to do them one-on-one, but I don't even take online clients into my lounge room, bedroom. They stay in the office and that's their energy stays in the office. And I always cleanse the office with like sage, have a little ritual for each session. So I'll always light a candle. Even today I lit a candle for this saged my room where I am, like took a few deep breaths, 
uh, made sure the room felt nice. So like these practical things I do that I don't think about, but now you're asking me, I do to kind of Mm. clear the energy and then when we finish, I'll clear it again. And when I light the candle, I set an intention. So I would do that for clients. Um, and, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't, have, I don't have much to say because I find it easy to give them my all in a session. And then when I press leave mm. session, I've, I find it quite easy to, yeah. I find it quite easy to leave it. I think, you know, if I can offer an observation, I think that is a direct result of the work you've done on yourself. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. I think that's actually really important to to say as well. Like it's not about, um, I, I think about it as like for me in the earlier days, it was more a signal of the work I still had to do on myself mm-hmm. to be able to park it at the leave and not kind of take it with me and feel this responsibility that I had to please people and overperform because overperformance is a key area I'm always working on. Um, So you eventually stopped doing one-on-ones and I think I'm even experiencing that myself after a couple of years as a natural evolution point where you can only do so much work in that one or two hour session. Mm. I want to talk a bit about um, your entry into this world of online learning, which we know is also kind of taking off right now. Um, You started with an e-book and then something that we worked on together, which was you had mainly fully formed by the time you got to me was Pleasure School. Mm. Um, Talk to us about that transition out of being available one-on-one to kind of teaching at scale Mm. and, um, and where the idea for Pleasure School came from. Yeah, okay. Well, my big goal from a very young age has been to have my own successful business. I mean, we can talk about the definition of success for me, but a successful business that made money for me overnight basically. It's because I didn't, I wanted to get to a stage again in my life where I could have more children. That was my big goal. Like, because that's just where my joy really lies is like being a mother and having children, my children around me and having a really beautiful relationship. And so in order for me to be able to do that um, with my children and my daughter, who's 15 now, so she's been with me through this whole journey, Um it, I always held them as my inspiration. So for for Millie, my daughter, it was I wanted to be able to drop her off and pick her up at school every single day for her whole, at least primary school. Now, you know, me picking her up is embarrassing so she catches the bus because she's at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, but her whole primary school, I wanted to be able to do that. And so I knew that doing clients, say five clients a day or whatever, just wasn't sustainable. Firstly, for my energy because it takes a lot. And then secondly, because Mm. it meant I needed to show up in order to make money. And so um, the evolution of Pleasure School was I was travelling lots, teaching workshops um, in person around Australia and New Zealand and um, India and I was um, loving it but also feeling like this isn't sustainable when we have children and Nick and I were running them together too and 
So I decided to put all of everything I know into pleasure school and just, and also, you know, get other experts in. So it's just not just me talking the whole time. Um, so that I could, so that people could join and have the experience of me and have the experience of my teachings and, um, but not have to show up in person and not pay quite a bit of money to see me one-on-one too. And it was perfect timing because I launched it and then basically COVID hit and, yeah. And then you fell pregnant. Yeah, and then I fell pregnant so everything fell into place. Mm. And I think we can agree that it's been wildly successful. How does that (laughs) feel? Like when you really feel into the amount of students that you're helping to do this really, really vital work on themselves. Mm. I don't know if we've ever really spoken about this, even as friends, like the impact that you're having on people's lives and relationships, like at scale now, Mm. how does that feel in your body? It's funny you say that because I don't feel into often into like the big impact like that I'm having, I think, because I forget how many people are really being impacted by my work because, you know, when I say like I'm in the supermarket and someone comes up and is like, oh, my God, thank you, like you've you saved my relationship and like you'll never know how much you've helped me, I'm always just like, I'm just like, oh, you're welcome. Like I just, I'm just another woman just doing my thing. Like I just don't realise the impact that I'm having and I still don't. Uh, but it it feels good to know that, you know, if I die tomorrow or today, you never know, who knows what could happen, that I'll leave, you know, a pretty good legacy behind. Like I will like have impacted a lot of people, which is my main goal with this work is to empower as many people as possible to enjoy their sex life to embrace their sexuality to feel sexual freedom um that's the goal behind everything I do including the yin products including the everything it feels Mm. good yeah it feels good because I know what it's like to feel sexually empowered and to have feel really liberated it's just such a bloody great feeling. It's like so mm. light and free and joyful and that's what I want others to feel. Mm. Mm. And so how beautiful that we can um, be in this work of service and ultimately what I'm hearing you say is that is success for you but there's mm. another side of success as well that we're going to talk about. But you, you know, every day you honour your mission you know, and, and then the success comes from the impact that you have on, on people's lives. So I want to talk about money mm-hmm. because you are somebody who, when you came into my life, I still didn't really feel deserving of earning money. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm still working on, but you've been a real inspiration for me in really claiming my deserving right to earn because of the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalia Benson, somebody else that, you know, I've sort of followed for a long time and interviewed a couple of times and I've been on her podcast and we have this beautiful relationship, but she challenged me really early on why I kept giving everything away for free and why I wouldn't up my rates. And, 
you're someone that, um, you know, I look at what you do and even in our coaching sessions when we're doing strategy together, the real assurance you have around investment and cost and what the value of things should be and how many students you're going to get in. And it's really, really inspiring. So talk to us about, um, I guess, what does earning money mean to you? Because what I understand is it's not about being quote unquote rich. Yeah, no, it isn't. What it means to me is freedom. That's what I, you know, I did a lot of work on money um, for years and years because I came from, you know, a family. We like, we had money, but we didn't have, there was always the chat of like, oh, you know, we can't afford it. Or I always felt responsible for not wanting to spend too much of my parents' money. And I have spent literally years in a row not being able to, like waking up wanting to have go out and buy a coffee and not being able to afford it. So I've definitely been at rock bottom. But what I came to was like, what? why do I want to earn good money? And that is to bring freedom to my life. And freedom for me is like freedom to be able to, for example, after this, take my mother-in-law out for lunch and take her somewhere nice and just really enjoy it and freedom to go and buy organic produce which I know is for us the best choice for our bodies Um, and um, freedom to put my daughter into a really good school uh, private school that she's really enjoying that gives her the education that we can give her Um, freedom to get acupuncture when I need acupuncture to afford the home birth midwife that we had recently you know like all these things that bring richness to our lives to be able to live where we live and so yeah so what inspires me is if I can make lots of money I can experience more freedom and more health and um and so that's been the big driver for me is the bigger picture again and for, for us, it was a lot about travel at the moment. That's kind of taken a back seat. And that feels really good, actually, to just be grounded in Australia. But for me, travel's always been big. So I wanted to be able to take my children traveling lots, which I did with Millie throughout up until very recently. She's traveled to so many different countries. And that's because I've worked hard and had the bigger picture there always. Mm. Mm. It's been really inspiring because I just continue to learn like it's not about the dollar figure in your bank account because, you know, it is about that flow and that's what I'm hearing from you now is like it comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes out. It's not like you're hoarding money. No. You know, and trying to build this wealth in a bank account. Um, It's about what it allows you to do. So I think that's a really wonderful message to anyone listening is really to go back to you know, ask yourself the question, what does freedom mean to you? Because it means something to Juliet, it means something else to me, it'll mean something else to Nick and Tony and um, and then having the funds um, to be able to explore those things versus just acquiring things and accumulating. Um, so I think that's really beautiful. The other thing that you've, um, I guess, you've moved me into a reflection to think more about how it might play a role in my life and my work is manifestation. Mm. And, you know, I've always kind of been like, oh, I don't really know whether I 
before I started doing all my self-work, I really subscribed to it and then I sort of drifted from it. But the way that you use it to um, bring about the things that you desire in your life is really compelling. So talk to us about how the role manifestation has played in your business because we don't want to be like, oh, I just manifested this big, you know, sex business. It's not that at all. It's, <laughs> no. You've been very intentional with, yeah. you know. So so what's your practice and, and how has it impacted your business? Yeah, well, it's a bit of um, hard work, a lot of hard work. Um, it's strategy, which is what you're great at, you know, helping me with is like just kind of going, okay, what's the bigger picture here for business? But then um, the magical side of things is the manifestation. And so what I do is um, there's a few different things. One would be sex magic, which is basically using the power of our sexual energy through self-pleasure or making love with Nick um, to manifest what we want in life. So it's like when we're in the throes of orgasm or making love, there's so much, there's so much potency in that energy. And what we can do is, um, and I have podcast episodes on this and lessons in pleasure school on this. So for anyone listening, who's like, what the hell is that? Um, just go and look at my stuff. Um, so you're using the potency of that energy to manifest. And how I see manifesting is like, um, I'm trying to think of how I can articulate this really well. It's feeling grateful for and feeling the emotions associated with something that you are yet to have in your life. So, for example, with our son, he was so greatly wanted and I was so ready to become a mother and his spirit was around me for a long time. So I knew he was there. He was there waiting. He was just waiting for the right time to come through. But what I did to manifest his conception was when we were making love, I would like feel his presence and feel what it was like to have him in my tummy and literally hold my tummy. I found myself just feeling like how it felt to have my tummy, you know, big and round. And and so it was like, and just being grateful for that and grateful for this beautiful birth and grateful for him breastfeeding and and the connection that we had. So that's one way that I manifest yeah. and I've manifested that birth that way too. And it makes me really emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's continued. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go into that a bit more and more detail because I haven't spoken about this. But what we would do was when we were making love and we we're both experiencing orgasm naturally I would visualise the birth and I would visualise him coming out of me and holding him on my chest as I was in the throes of orgasm and that exact thing happened. Like it, it was like, anyway, that was a bit of sex magic. Um, and then for business stuff, um, I've done the same. Um but I do more meditations like guided Joe Dispenza meditations. One of his meditations, which people Amazing. could download today, is his morning and evening meditation, and it's on his website. And I do the morning one, and it's 20 minutes, and it's like 
a manifesting meditation and he guides you through feeling what it feels like to have these things. So let's just take a practical example, Pleasure School. I'm opening it up again January 22. So leading up to that, I'll do the figures and I'll go, how many people do I want to join and impact? So let's say 200, for example. Then I'll do the sums and go, okay, 200 times 499, whatever I'm going to decide on charging next year, is this and say it's 200 grand, I don't know. I will do a manifesting meditation to feel what it feels like to have that money in my bank account and then think, okay, how will I also, how can I use that money to, you know, am I going to donate some? Usually I'll donate like 10% to something each year. So who am I going to donate it to? And then, Um, yeah, I could go on and on about this. It works. I know. It really bloody works. But, I mean, even what you've just given us, like I even feel like that's very rich, you know, for me, Mm -hmm. like I'm coming up to a, um, I'm in a very deep planning stage and I'm going to move into a creation stage and then into a launch stage and these are the seasons, right? Mm -hmm. Not every season is a season of harvest, as Mm Sar had said in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And so even being able to have this conversation with you, remember that you do this because I'd forgotten Mm -hmm. and to go and take that practice into my own business, I think is so valuable. And Joe, the beauty of him is his accessibility, I think. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And he just has so much out there. Um, there's also that, um, is it Gaia? Is that how you pronounce it, the streaming service? Yeah, I've heard of have that. heard of that? Yeah, I have a few friends who love it. I haven't got it. Yeah, it's so good. It's basically like spiritual Netflix. Mm, um, it's like 150 bucks a year and he has a whole series on that where it's video-based. Oh. Um but, yeah, so that's another one where people, they don't go to his website. They, but I just find that he he's just made this work really accessible to everyone and there's free stuff and paid stuff. And Let's spell his so, name for those listening, should we? Thank you for that. Just because some people might be Joe like, Dispenza. what, who's Joe? Yeah, Joe Dispenza with a Z. Dispenza. With a Z, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's totally escaped me, that amazing book he wrote. Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. That's his first one. Is it? No, there's another one. Um, anyway, I forget. everyone's going to be like, we know what's called this. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, I'm just got a couple more questions before we wrap up because mm-hmm. you have a little baby. Mm-hmm. Um, mine's beautifully asleep, I think, hopefully for another 40 minutes. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> against the clock. Um, I want to talk briefly about this idea of seasons mm. because – I think we've both worked really hard to be able to carve out this season of motherhood for ourselves and there's Mm. definitely days and times we have to work but there's times where we really protect um, the time we have with our babies. Mm. How do you, when you feel that um, inevitable fear bubbling up, Mm. maybe a bit of comparison, you know, you were saying before that kind of identity shift, when you have these things kind of surfacing energetically in your body, what brings you back to that present moment of this is what I committed to? I actually have things I wanted and I'm in the season I wanted to be in, but how do I be here now? Mm, good question. Um, well, it's it's an on-topic question because I am finding it challenging in this season of my life with 
a young baby and a teenager, so parenting two very opposite ends of the scale children, um, to find time to bring myself back to my centre. And I even had a cry the other night to Nick about it. I just was like, I feel like I haven't come up for air in a while. And I think all mums can relate to this, especially in those first four or five months where it's just like hands-on and that's the way it's meant to be, is like relentless hands-on love, just pure love, pure pouring out. Um, And so, but what I've found helpful and I'm finding helpful right now is we, we being Nick and I as a team, a parenting team at the moment, we have allocated mornings where it's our morning and that means we have, you know, say three hours where um, from the moment we can wake up and for me, you know, I feed soul when he needs to be fed. But wake up and have that time to recenter ourselves and for me that means right now I go downstairs. We've got like a gym area downstairs and I... I've started doing Pilates. So I do like a 30-minute Pilates class online, which contributes to me feeling good about myself because I need to get more active, especially postpartum has been a bit of a challenge. So I've committed to that. And then I have a sauna and, you know, I totally get not everyone has the bloody privilege and like of having a sauna in their house. Have a sauna and I just like... It's like I just but also that. can I just really quickly butt in money and how I really honor what you just said like <laughs> oh. right because and I just want to really plant that in there because this has been a big thing for me is like constantly understanding that my privilege is on display your privilege is mm-hmm. on display um and while we've come from you know more of those working class backgrounds we definitely haven't experienced you know, some of the displacement that other people have. Mm. Um, But at the same time, I know how hard you work. Mm. And so I really want to honour that for you in this moment is to say like, I I totally get it because you say sauna at home and we're all like, easy for you, great for you. But actually knowing you, Mm. I'm like, fuck yeah. If anyone deserves that (laughs) level of luxury, it is. Yeah, I think, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to butt in with that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. It's true. Like, um, and I do agree with you that that was not given to us. That was a lot of hard work and that was a long-term goal of, for us as a couple to have an infrared sauna because we value health so much. It's like our top value. We know how good it is for us mm. and we were going to places and having saunas. Anyhow, how I send to myself is just have those moments where I can just bring myself back to my centre and also the shower is really good for that at the moment. So when I have a shower, that's like a moment where I, I, I never used to close the bathroom door. I've always been just like I just shower and the door's open and people in the house are around, doesn't matter. But Nick used to Nick started closing the bathroom door and I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, why are you closing the door? It was really weird for me. And then I realised it's because he just goes in there and centres himself while he's running water over himself and like, now I've started to do it and I realise what a gift I can give to myself is have a few moments where I'm not being touched by baby, I'm not feeding, I'm not trying to wrangle my teenager. <laughs> I'm not having team meetings yeah. with staff. I'm not 
So there are a couple of things I do. And there's nothing really traditionally spiritual I'm doing at the moment. I used to meditate every morning and I used to move my body and dance. and But right now that's not happening in this season and that's totally okay with me. Yeah, it's just not relevant right now. And I think that's so beautiful that you have the awareness and, you know, sometimes it just comes back to just basic care. You know what I mean? Those, mm-hmm. And that's kind of, you know, the season that you're in. So I think that's really lovely because none of us are exempt from the days where, yes, we planned it this way, but we still think, fuck, 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 you know, I'm not doing enough or I'm not earning enough. or mm-hmm. So I did just want to know like how, and you've explained that, how you kind of bring yourself back to that moment of saying this is ultimately I have what I wanted. It's just quietening the noise and the programming and the pressure from society to be constantly creating and growing and earning. and Oh, yeah. But what you're earning right now is incredible. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. I think the other thing I bring myself back to is priorities. What are my priorities? And I know what my priorities are and I know what order they go in, but some, somehow they can get a bit shuffled around. And so my priorities are me, number one, that, that's my priority is to bring myself back to centre and look after myself because if I can do that, then I can look after my family and my team and my business. And then my relationship is my is my second priority because if that's not strong, then we can't bring that strength and beautiful transmission to our children of love and of intimacy and, and passion and commitment. And your audiences. Yep. And then family, which is, you know, essentially my children, and then family, and then work is actually, this is ideally. But as you know, suddenly you're in this whirlwind season of your life and you're like, what the fuck? All I'm doing is prioritising work. No wonder I'm not having sex. No wonder my kids up Mm. all night because they're just feeling my anxiety and stress and my health is at rock bottom and suddenly I have period pain again or whatever it is for everyone else. Mm-hmm. So those moments give me an opportunity to to re reevaluate quite often my priorities. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this is it. It's constant. I love that you mentioned that. It's just like every day, almost, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. and then when you find yourself in that work body and brain, when you had committed to the motherhood season, then you go, oh, hold on. <laughs> Yeah. You know, let's wind it back a little bit, you know, and it's just hard because we move into that work body so quickly and effortlessly mm-hmm. and then we find ourselves there and go, no, 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 no we're not there right now. We're going to come back to mother. Mm-hmm. Well, for me it's about having people around me to remind me of that too, even my team who work for me. You know, I say to um, Maddie who works for me and she's like my main right-hand woman I say don't let me create anything more seriously like pull me up and say no we're not doing it we're not doing it because I can get really out of control with creations and it's a gift Mm. but it's also you know can be not good for family life etc um I've just got my final question for you and then I'm going to let you go. Um, I feel like you've spoken a lot about it, but not explicitly throughout the the episode. You know, offline has um, 
as with everything in life, it's evolved and it's evolving. And part of the need I was seeing from my community was going deeper into this idea of, you know, what I call true self-success, which is a big part of my methodology in coaching and in learning and, and what I provide. And so the podcast is now lining up with that, which is so beautiful. So the conversations we've had before have been more about true self, but now it's really about how do we create an existence where we operate in the space between our essence and our ambition. And I think that's something that you do so beautifully. Um, So what does true self success look and sound like in your life, if you can summarise it for us? Mm. Um, It sounds, it looks like what I am living right now, which is Mm. we live in our dream space. We're in this beautiful house and six acres. And that was a huge dream of mine, to be able to grow my own vegetables, to live on land where we don't have neighbours that we can hear the conversations through the walls, um, to bring up our children in a space where they get to run around and be with nature. Um, So that was on my vision board for many years and here we are, we bought in, we moved in in February this year, bought in December last year. And so that's really like success for me. Um, the But on a deeper level, what success for me is like manifesting the beautiful birth that I just had actually, which was very healing for me. And being able to rest in my pregnancy and spend the last couple of months literally just like connecting with my baby, connecting with myself, watching heaps of Netflix, (laughs) which I love. That's like a guilty pleasure. Um, Doing manifesting manifesting meditations twice daily. That was success. And then birthing my baby boy in front of the fire Mm. with like my partner behind me literally physically holding me up while I pushed him out and then you know having a dog beside me like just the little things and having my daughter come and meet her her, her brother and it's just like the simple stuff for me I just I just want to have a really amazing relationship with my partner I want to be having great sex. I want to have healthy children and children who have a really strong sense of self and feel loved and have a really um, good secure attachment mm-hmm. and eat great food and and then be making money overnight. <laughs> so, like, wake up and have, yeah. you know, have money just coming, flowing to me flowing to me so that I can keep creating. And money that comes from service, which is what's mm-hmm. so special about that. The quality of that money is mm-hmm. richer than most because of the way it flows through to you, I think, is what's very admirable about what you do. The other thing is, you know, the money that I'm making now, 
it, it allows me to create more for others and to be of more service. So if I can mm. reach my goal, say, next year, it means I can create another online course for couples, for example, mm. that can enrich relationships or, or I'd love to create a resource for mothers who want to birth in the way that I birth. Yes. Like that's where my passion lies right now. But in order for me to do that, as we all know, and because I want to do it really good, I need money to do that, to put back into my business, to put back into the community. Mm. Beautiful. Well, thank you for being on my podcast once again. It's <laughs> always so much fun. Jallison. We forgot oh, to talk Jallison. about Jallison. And actually, while we're on, I'm just going to miss because I just looked at this, but it's just missed. I need to oh, nice finish us here. Um Remember in our second recording, we were literally talking about lube and how you were just saying to use, I think, organic coconut oil or something, but don't use it with condoms because it can break the condom. And then I was like, you totally have to create lube. And then you totally did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's I what did. I love about you. Where I was like, yep, she's gone out and done it. She's created a whole business. <laughs> I've created a whole new company and now I sell lube and it's amazing, by the way. It is amazing. Well, you know. And it is amazing, That's the so oil good. one. And the body oil, I've just finished that. But beautiful Maddie's sending me support, some more, so I'm thankful for that. Oh, good. Um, Excellent. That's good. Can I just? Go I be keep, with your babe. I just keep yeah. thinking of one thing. And I do need to go because no doubt he needs a feed. Yes. Back to the Instagram thing for a moment. What I, <laughs> I know, yeah. I just, I could talk for hours about this. What changed me for Instagram too and my experience of social media was unfollowing everybody. And that sounds extreme. Yes. But a couple, I'd say it was about three years ago, I just went from maybe following, I don't know, to, not many people, maybe 200 people, to like, Literally my mum, my dad, my daughter and Nick. And it just took out all the noise, the comparison, the, oh, what's she doing? Oh, no, well, I won't do that because she just launched that. And then I just got to create from my true authentic, like, me rather than what I should be doing or what's trending or what, what she's doing and what she's calling her products, that really made a difference. So that's, you know, a bit of advice to people. If you want to just be really authentic, just stop comparing, unfollow everyone unapologetically too. That's big and like I just try and let myself go there, like can I do that? Like can I unfollow everyone and like what would that mean and does that, like, what does that mean? So I'm, you're going to leave me with that because I guess I have those dreams of doing that, but I never actually think I would do it. Um, but I guess I start to think about, like, what do I become unaware of when I'm not consuming that mainstream dialogue? Anyway, that's good. See, you, I like the way you challenge me this way and you challenge us, many of us, I think, so... You know what would be good on Instagram, actually, is if you could just turn off your feed. Yeah, true. So you didn't have to go and unfollow everyone. You could turn it on and off. Well, you can mute people. Should I send that to Instagram? I bet they're thinking about it. Just well, mute. yeah, but like instead of going and muting everyone individually. Mm. You just mute your feed. It would be so good if you could just choose. Instagram are never going to let us have that. 
because then we won't spend money no, and advertise our business <laughs> model exactly. <laughs> the advertising exactly. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, all right. Well, thank you for having me. You know, Bye. I love you, and I just—I love you very much. Yeah, I really appreciate our friendship. I appreciate all the advice you give me to a very clueless mm. second time around mother who you know hadn't had a newborn for so long and needed so much advice on really random shit that we had to buy. And just it's my pleasure. Also, you know, you've been there for me and the emotional stuff. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to find out more about my personal and professional development opportunities. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them.